if you can think it and you can crystallize it, you can make it. You can make it come true. The world beyond. Emotion is of tomorrow. Brought to you by Michael Mack. Hello and welcome back to my podcast, The World Beyond the Emotioneers of Tomorrow. I'm Michael Mark, and today I'm joined in person here at Studio 78 at Europa Park by a truly special guest and dear friend of mine, Sir Richard Taylor. He's the CEO and co-founder of the world-famous Vita Workshop. Him and his team have provided the designs and physical effects for more than 80 films and numerous television shows, among many others, the hugely popular blockbusters Lord of the Rings, the Hobbit trilogy, as well as the Chronicles of Narnia, King Kong Avatar, and many more. Welcome back, Sir Richard Taylor, to my podcast. Michael, it's fantastic to be here and chatting once again. Just going back to the fabulous world, what you've been created with Lord of the Rings, that people would live for years and years, and um, you affect so many people with the amazing world. Now we're living in this time of TV series, you have like five episodes, eight episodes, 10 episodes. So people are consuming more and more content. Do you think that somebody will achieve again something would have happened with Lord of the Rings or Star Wars? Will there be another world builder out there who will create in those days of streaming platforms and the surface of content just sticking to the top? Will everyone be out there to create a world like you did? I think so. I think we're witnessing right now the great world builder in the form of James Cameron and Avatar. I don't think of James Cameron as having created the world building of Avatar. That just happens to be the title of the film that he made. And now the second film, his world building is called Pandora. He's created this incredible ecosystem that is entirely plausible into which he may choose to drop into any part of the continents, the islands, the oceans, the atmosphere of this amazing piece of world building. And similar to what Tolkien did in his writings, I would argue that C.S. Lewis did in the, in the Chronicles of Narnia, you know, Tolkien didn't create a linear story as such where a group of hobbits meet a incredible wizard and they go off on a quest to drop a ring into Mordor. He built a plausible ecosystem of multiple species, multiple races, multiple lands, so that as we journey along with the hobbits, we don't think about them solely as if they were a set of cowboys in a western where the sets just stop beyond the angle of the lens of the camera. We truly believe that should we be sitting in the cinema seat or should we be reading the pages of Tolkien's writing, if we were to step up to the Presidium arch and look around the edges, the world would extend beyond what the director has chosen to film. And should we read the literature, our mind can expand as broadly as it would in our own world, such as the richness of description. C.S. Lewis does a similar thing. And now we have James Cameron, a modern story world builder, fabricating this incredible world. It's quick to critique streaming content, but there is a great benefit, unlike a feature film that may only give you a two, one and a half to three hour viewing experience, 
uh, where you have to tell the beginning, the middle, and the end. You have to build this complete characterization story arc of your uh, of your characters within a short period of time, as opposed to say something like Game of Thrones, where over multiple episodes and multiple seasons, we can actually invite these characters into our homes. We can live with them. We can grow with them. We actually traverse multiple years of our lives with them in our lives. I used to always think, what, why do we go to the cinema? What's the primary reason that we go to the cinema? You could argue it's to see worlds that we can never experience in our own lives. You could argue that you offered the opportunity to see epic experiences and intimate detail. But to me, I think at the heart of it, we go to the cinema or we go and watch things on our television to form a relationship with characters that we otherwise couldn't have in our lives. And so whether it is on the big screen or the little screen, to me, and whether it's a feature film or a multiple episode series, at its heart is the continuing need for us to fall in love or fall in hate or fall in jealousy or fall in envy or whatever with the characters on the screen. And in turn, that enriches our lives. When you talk about going to cinemas or being in touch with characters of a different world, is there kind of a golden rule for you which medium um, is the best to establish a story world? Do you say like it is the book or is it a series, is it a cinema? What is for you the basement of a story world or is, is, is everything leading toward a story world? I think up until probably 2024, 25, I'm not an author, I'm not a great writer, but I would stand by the fact that there is still no better vehicle for evolving a story world than literature. Because unlike a film, you know, how often have we heard, oh, I love the film, wasn't quite as good as the book. A film is only as grand as the budget that will allow you to create the images on the screen. A book is as grand as the breadth of the human imagination. And therefore, a good author allows you to fill in the gaps. They allow the human brain, our imagination, to fabricate the missing pieces and build extraordinary visuals around the words on the page. And you can evoke, as Tolkien did so exceedingly well, and uh, C.S. Lewis, arguably, and many others. I, I've just been working on a major project for China with an author called Jin Yong. Jin Yong is the most read person in the world, other than um, the writings of Harry Potter. Uh, such was the popularity of uh, Flight of the Condor Heroes. And he is world-building through literature. And I think that will hold for a while yet. But the reason I started the answer with 24-2025 is the emergence of AI technologies that are going to allow screen-based world building, VR, AR, mixed reality world building at a level that we can't even comprehend as we're sitting here today. 
my dear friend and colleague Roni Abovitz, who I'm travelling with at the moment. We've just been to the Unsea Film Festival um, to speak to this very subject, where a audience member can become a participant in a story world that is arguably as infinite and as broad as if you went on holiday to a foreign country. Uh, we use the suggestion of Japan. You know, Japan is a very different culture to our own. And when you arrive in Japan, you might arrive at the airport and you might have a series of things in your schedule, but the random activities that come on you every day, driven by history, culture, the people, uh, modernity, political systems, whatever they may be, tends to knock you off course a little bit and you career through this amazingly random experiential journey through another country when you go on holiday. That's not a movie that you're watching. You know, there may be a story unfolding in the street that you could make a movie about, but there's another million happening at exactly the same time. And the ability to put the audience into a piece of world building equivalent as if you were going to Japan and discovering all of the history and culture of Japan is within our fingertips. And that's very, very exciting. You were mentioning um, the movie wasn't as good as the book. I heard people say, like, well, the TV series of the movie you created wasn't as good as the movie. So what I'm wondering all the time is, like, if you are in a VR world, if you're in a mixed reality world, how do you get the basement of, of fans, of people understand your world you created and somehow it feels to me that it needs the physical contact with the story world whether it's been a cinema or in a theme park would you underline that thesis i'm quoting or would you say forget about uh, theme parks it's only tiktok in the future instagram to build up a, a new story world it's a very emotionally charged question and i have to answer it with the conviction and belief that I have, which is that craftsmanship, creativity, and imagination through physical representation of content, of objects, of historical artifacts, must remain at the center of human evolution. That doesn't mean that it may not do that, but I believe it must stay there because To think of raising our children only in a digital medium, only in a non-social network, only in a VR headset, where they don't have the tactility and connection with the physical world, is to deliver them into a vanilla-flavored future. And I like to think that craftsmanship has generated the cultural road markers through a specific country's journey across history. And if we start to eliminate and reduce those road markers, we start to lose our way off the path. We start to see our specific cultural reference points become homogenized and dissipate into a global soup, as opposed to keeping the pride and commitment to representing our own people in the manner that specifies their own unique place on the planet. So theme parks, 
such as the one that we're in today, have to stay relevant. We have to make sure that our cultural experiences, the ability to visit the wonders of the world, the ability to touch, taste, feel, smell, and hear using all senses stays at the heart of the human experience. And to that end, as I said at the beginning of the talk, it's actually beholden on people such as the Mac family, people like ourselves, and people working in the physical crafts of the world to keep putting this forward for people's consumption and enjoyment. Where do you get your creative inspiration and how can we conservate the values you've just been describing? I personally think at the core of the creative process and what I strongly speak to young people about when I meet with young people who are visiting to hear me talk about what we do in our creative process and they are aspiring for careers similar to our own and that is the imperative need to become or remain inquisitive inquisitiveness you have it in spades i watch you i watch you look at everything with a detailed eye with an inquisitive mind How could I make that better? How could I utilize that to make that? How could I embellish this by connecting that to that? My mind, thankfully, at 58 years old, is still as inquisitive as it was when I was a youth. I never, ever kick the seed pod on the pavement into the gutter. Pick it up, look at it for the unique ecology, the spaceship, the piece of Navi jewelry, the alien living quarters of a yet-to-be-known uh, species on the other side of the universe. Pop it into your roller decks of a brain and then maybe flick it into the gutter on the pavement. But remaining inquisitive and learning to observe the world. Too many people are so busy just looking at the world so they don't bump their head or trip on a rock so that they can consume their bite-sized TikTok uh, media that they've lost the art of observing the world, of enjoying the infinite life lessons that are flowing around us every second of every day. And to me, that's where inspiration is born. You don't have to go diving into the internet, grasping for inspiration, where every individual, every quirk in every person, every animal, every tree, every piece of structure has components of inspiration that your inquisitive mind can harvest and uh, put away for creative regurgitation in the future. I'll add to it too, you've got to be a lightning rod at one level. So when large inspirations strike, you're able to capture them. And therefore, you've got to be constantly vigilant to the lightning strike. But you also have to be a tuning rod so that when you in the world, you've got the ability to hear that low thrum, that 
pitch that normally would pass you by, but because you're tuning yourself to be aware of the things that are important, so you can chop away the chaff, you can let the less important things go by in the hope that you can capture the things that are going to have a critical creative importance by tuning yourself to be constantly aware and constantly present. I once again can compliment the person sitting opposite me. Michael said, what is the character that you most relate to? And I said, Squirrel Nutkin, because he's bright-eyed and bushy-tailed. Michael and I were up till the wee hours of this morning having a beer together with our friends chatting. I've had just a few hours sleep. Michael's had the same. But when I'm looking across the table at Michael right now, his eyes are crackling with energy, crackling with imagination, with inspiration, with um, inquisitive wonder at what's next. And to me, if you want to pursue a creative career and don't have that in you, you have to harvest it. You have to find it. It is out there in the world for your taking, for your consumption and for your use. You just have to be tuned in a manner where you can find it, benefit from it and then be inspired by it. So what character film would you give me then? Well, it's interesting. You are a wonderful mix of Frodo Baggins and Gandalf the Grey. To me, you're a wizard, but you're also a man living in a child's existence. You can still see with a child's eye. You can still see through the eyes of the kids that are in your park. I've watched you watch them to see what they're watching. And then by harvesting that, you then put it through your wizardly way and create the magic that you do. Without that combination of attributes, I just don't think that this could manifest. Your dad's got it, your granddad had it, and uh, I'm sure your sons will have it in turn, as do so many of the people that work with you. It's this ability to observe it, be inquisitive about it, model it into something that's precious and then anoint it with this touch of magic that makes it special for the people here. Once again, I'm looking towards my right and sitting at a coffee table outside a French 1950s cafe is a small group of five family members they are obviously just sitting there in complete content and delight about the fact that they are here enjoying this day together. That's not an easy thing to manifest today for a family in the harried and busy world in which they have to live in. And uh, long may it last that we have these special experiences that we can share with people. There will be now the moment for me to stop this podcast because I think you can't say it any better than you just did. But um, let me go a little bit on because I think a lot of our listeners will be thrilled of your words, what you tell uh, from creativity, from how you see the world. And um, let's try to step on, on to the future. And um, as we met, you've been together at a company called Magic Leap. If you want to talk a little bit of AR, VR, what does that technology brings to us in a creative way? How do you see uh, the technology? And if you would 
put it into comparison to existing media like a cinema, a book, or maybe a computer game, how would you explain to people never been in this world of augmented reality? How, what is the device and the technology for you in the future? Well, speaking to the mediums of entertainment, I guess, or screen entertainment, of which you could argue VR, AR, and even mixed reality are still screen entertainment at some level. You know, it was only, what, 140, 50 years ago, I'm not sure the exact date, for the first time in human existence that an audience were able to see a fabricated imagined image. You could argue that the shaman of the primitive human conjuring imagery through storytelling out of the smoke of the campfire by which the tribe was sitting was able to conjure up imaginative images in the minds of his tribe or her tribe, but they weren't actually seeing it, right? So whether it's the zoetrope or the first crackly images that were thrown through projectors onto a sheet in the back of a vaudeville house, it's only been a very, very short level of human history that we've been able to visually share stories. And the prevalent method of telling them then stayed consistent for about 60 years, needing a projector, pushing light through a piece of um, film to throw shadows onto a wall. And then, of course, television is invented and the valve and everything that came along with early television, the LCD screen, the invention of the LED itself. But there is still a desire to create a much more immersive, all-encompassing experience If cinema is predominantly a passive experience, where you actually even sit in a locked position with a single eye line looking at the screen, you can't turn left or right, otherwise the visual image will fall out of your foval range. And then with television, you know, you can generally move around the lounge, but it still requires a passive uh, engagement. We then get into uh, screen-based video games where you're now a participant, but you're not actually able to take a physical place in the in the digital world. But even something like Fortnite that can draw people in so fundamentally is still to some degree an observational experience, even though you're having quite an immersive emotional connection. And then VR is invented. And VR has its good and its less than good attributes. Good, obviously, being that you are in a very immersive experience. And every year we're seeing a greater and greater success with that technology. The Mac company has done arguably some of the greatest work in VR in the world. I was playing it last night in your park. And I was completely engrossed. I was sweating with the sense of anxiety and uh, energy I was feeling in trying to achieve what the piece of media was demanding of me. But VR traditionally still puts you in a shoebox. You're not actually in the real world. You're not socializing openly with, the, with your loved ones and uh, with the public around you. 
So we've seen most recently Apple's invention. And uh, I can't wait to try it. I'll be one of the first that will buy it. It's incredibly exciting to see what they have evolved. But it is still a pass-through experience where there's a camera filming out and an LCD screen uh, that you're viewing. Magic Leap, I think, is still at the absolute forefront from a conceptual technology-based idea, which is the ability to see the world through a pair of glasses into which you can place fabricated, captured imagery by projecting it through your iris and painting it onto your optical cortex. I mean, it's an incredible conceptual thought, and Roni Abovitz invented this idea with a group of 2,000 people over eight years, manifested an idea that um, has so many technical hurdles, it seemed in almost entirely impossible when he first conceptualized it. But Roni is very much of the view that if you can think it and you can crystallize it, you can make it, you can make it come true. And indeed, that's exactly what he did. And for those of you that are listening that may not have experienced mixed reality yet, and only 10,000 headsets of the original ML1 got to the world that I'm aware, the experience is transformational because think about it like this. Everything in your life other than the seat that you're sitting on, the weight of the clothes on your shoulders, maybe the glasses on your nose, the ground under your feet, and say the pencil or the eating implement in your hand, as are just photonic projections. They don't need to be atoms. Once you touch them, so if I reach out and pat Michael on the shoulder, he instantly becomes atoms because he now needs solidity. He needs to be of substance, of physical reality. But until I actually engage with Michael, he might as well just be a photonic projection onto my optical cortex, right? Because he doesn't need to be physical. So the mixed reality technology allows you to blend the atom and the photon in a very unique and very clever way, meaning that you are now in an entirely social experience, looking at the world as if you're looking through a pair of glasses, but folding into your world an amazing collection of extraordinary fabrications and uh, experiences. There would be no better opportunity than in a theme park just like the one we're in today. Imagine putting on a pair of mixed reality glasses, being able to remove the public, replacing them with avatars of the characters in the world that you're passing through, and uh, putting dragons in the sky, serpents coming out of the holes in the ground, wrapping the buildings with incredible foliage, having uh, armies of horses charging through the streets, and on and on and on I could go. You're building a story world 
that overlays the physical world so you get the best of both worlds. The social interaction with the public around you, the love and engagement with your family, the incredible craftsmanship that's gone into building the extraordinary theme park while overlaying it with a fantastical ecosystem that brings a heightened level of engagement and delight and allows the imagination to soar. That's where we're going. That's what's promising. That's what is just around the corner. And uh, it's going to be a very exciting day when we start to see these emerge out into the streets. What are in labs and in darkened rooms at the moment becoming prescient in our everyday lives. And uh, fantastic thought to see the technology reach that level. Um to slowly get to an end, I would love to uh, ask you on a personal level to a uh, quick question, uh, which I'm interested in. And those are, what do you enjoy most in your spare time, if you have any? And the second one is, how do you creatively recharge? <sighs> I'll answer the second part first, because uh, I creatively recharge quickly, which is good. If you think about yourself as the battery on your cell phone, Quite often we find ourselves in the harried nature of modern life blinking on red, right? It's even gone past orange and it's in the red. And, you know, as you grow older, Michael and I close to the same age, it gets harder to recharge the batteries in the manner you may have well been able to do when you were younger. But whether in contrast to your physical recharging, which is a whole nother challenge, my creative recharging, I find very easy because I still look at the world through rose-colored spectacles. I still wake up bright-eyed and bushy-tailed. I still want to be inspired. Like, it's one thing to go out and try and be inspired, but it's a whole nother thing that where you exist to with the thrill of being inspired. Like I, I just look outside this window, I look around the room that we're sitting in, the photographs on the walls around us, and I find inspiration in it. I get recharged by arriving at work, opening the door and stepping into an environment of our creating, but it is an environment filled with people just like me exactly like you do when you come to work every day. The people working in this park are here because they want to do the same stuff you want to do. And that's what I have at work. I've had a lifelong aspiration to build performance robots. We've done a huge amount of animatronics in our career, but actually building pre-programmable, long-running performance robots, the sort of thing that you would see at a theme park such as Europa Park or Disneyland is something that's always been inspiring to me. And in the last three years, we've afforded ourselves the R&D and the development of that opportunity. So just getting to work and immediately going into the robotics department is what I do every morning at the moment. Before I go to my desk, before I go to another department, even if I've got a deadline, I have to go and check where we're at with the robotics team. Because it is so exciting and it's so inspiring and that's what I um, you know I can find a recharge just through the people that I am connecting with every day and the work that we get to do what do I do in my spare time I've always been a model maker and up until 10 years ago 
if I had any spare time, I'd be model making. I predominantly model make uh, six scale uh, resin garage kits and many people listening will know what they are. I love sculpture. I'm passionate about figurative sculpture. I'm a bit of a nerd on classical sculpture, specifically of the English New School period of sculpting. And for someone of my earning capacity, there's no way I can afford historical marble carvings or bronzes, but I still want beautiful sculpture in my life. So I, I got into garage kit modeling a very long time ago, probably 35 years ago, and I've got over 250 figure models in my office surrounding my desk, almost imploding with models. But 10 years ago, my wife Tanya and I needed to change our lifestyle because the problem with modeling is it keeps you at a desk with an airbrush uh, spraying smelly paints exactly in the environment that I'm living in every day at work. So we decided to build a sculpture park in Arboretum and every weekend for the last 10 years we have worked on a piece of rural farmland to build a beautiful environment to which we now invite people in support of the trust that my wife and I are patrons of called the New Zealand Neonatal Trust, Prem Babies basically. And uh, we work each weekend to create a beautiful environment that we can invite kids and their families out to um, come and ride on miniature trains and experience the environment that we've created and that gets us outside we're gardening we're building things with our hands we're enjoying the company of people that we otherwise would never get to meet the hobby is also putting something back into the world so uh, that makes up the remaining two days of our otherwise very busy five days at work Fascinating. I've seen the pictures. It looks just stunning what you achieved in, uh, I would say, your little garden, which is not that little anymore. Uh, let me uh, finish our wonderful podcast with my last question. Um, how will the world look like in seven years from now? And are you afraid of artificial intelligence? I think the world will look quite a bit different not visually the world won't look visually but how we interface with the world will look different i think there are reasons to be very concerned about some forms of ai the monolithic ai of uh, stanley kubrick's 2001 the hell that certain corporations and companies are building is concerning But there are many, many forms of AI that will only create a much greater, better world. We're already seeing cancers that may have taken dozens of years for armies of research scientists to cure, find a cure for being run through an AI algorithm and finding uh, solutions in a matter of months. We shouldn't demonize the concept of what AI can be in the world because there are so many benefits of certain AI for society and for the people of the world. It's the manner in which certain AI is used and uh, 
and harvest knowledge and that we need to be a little cautious of. I am not an expert on this area of questioning, but from my relatively passive perspective, I think we've got to keep the highest level of ethics at the forefront. We've got to get, keep people at the centre of the use of AI, and we've got to make sure that uh, the individual's creativity is never replaced entirely or partially with uh, AI when we're originating creative content and ideas. Thank you so very much for joining me here at Europa Park today, Richard. It's been a lovely time in a creative world of discussion, which uh, thrilled me and amazed me. Again, you visited me in Europa Park, Roost. Um, it's now my turn, I think, to visit your lovely family in New Zealand one time to see all what you have created, to see your steamed train going through a wonderful garden. So thank you again very, very much to be here today in my little podcast show. And I'm looking forward to joining tonight the Adrenaline with you to show you our newest invention. So thank you again very, very much to be thank, with us. Thank you, Michael. Your, yours and Miriam's uh, hospitality knows no bounds and you made myself and my family feel so welcome here five years ago and now returning with my friend Roni to discover exactly the same level of unbounded friendship and hospitality is really, really special to us. And to be back in the magical kingdom of Europa Park, you couldn't hope for anything better. And to all of you listening, thank you for tuning in. Join me again next time when we will uncover more of the secrets the world of tomorrow has in store for us. Michelle Mark presents The World Beyond. Emotionaries of Tomorrow. A Mac One Production.